I want you to turn your eyes upon Jesus with me to the goodness of Jesus Christ in His Word by turning with me toward the end of the New Testament to the book of 1 John. 1 John this morning. As you turn there, let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand, but I think that you can all answer these questions. Who among us has not has not interacted with another person in the last week or two? Stupid question, isn't it? It's better if I say that about my questions than if you say that. Right? Uh, how about this one? Who among us, who among us has not faced any difficulty in any relationship? That is with people. Okay, okay, all right. Who among us has not faced any difficulty in any relationship in the last week or two? Another stupid question, right? Why is that? Because we all face challenges with people in our relationships, don't we? And if you were to raise your hand, I was going to have somebody come quick and take your pulse. Because, you know, if you don't have conflict in your relationships and if you don't interact with people, something's not right. We all interact with other people, don't we? We all face challenges in those relationships. I snickered the first time I heard it, and I've jokingly said it. Forgive me. I heard one pastor say one time, I would love being a pastor if it weren't for people. (laughs) You can identify with that, can't you? Because in your job, fill in the blank, I would love doing... What's your job? You know, I would love being a mother. I would love being a parent. I would love being a father if it weren't for children. But if you didn't, you know, if it weren't for the children, you wouldn't be a parent, right? I would just love going to work every day if it weren't for people. But you know, if it weren't for people, you probably wouldn't have your job, right? I would love being a school teacher, but it's those kids. But if it weren't for the kids, you wouldn't be a school teacher, right? I would love being fill in the blank. I would love doing fill in the blank if it weren't for people. Uh, we're beginning a series of studies this morning in 1 John. And today is going to be an overview of the New Testament book of 1 John and an introduction to this series. And there's so much for us to learn from 1 John, but one of the larger lessons for us here is that a believer's identification with Christ should transform his or her relationships. Those of you who have identified with Christ, those of you who have confessed that you are a sinner and believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, should be changing for the better in your relationships with people. I did not say that those relationships should be perfect, so don't tell me that, that you know, that's impossible. But it is possible for us, as God's children, as followers of Christ, and we're going to find in 1 John, as we studied together in the weeks ahead, that again and again and again, we're reminded that those who are believers in Jesus Christ should be finding improvement in their relationships because of their relationship with Christ. There's so much for us here in 1 John. But our identification with Christ, our relationship with Christ, ought to make a very real difference in our relationships 
with one another. And especially, we're going to see the emphasis on our relationships with God's people, with one another, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want you, I to ask you to turn to 1 John. I want you to actually go with me to chapter 3, verse 16. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is the foundation for our relationships with others. This is why we can and should love one another. There are lots of love one another statements in the New Testament. We're going to come back and talk about that tonight. Why God says that we must love one another. And I want you to be back tonight to, to continue this thinking about love for each other. Love for God's people. Love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because God's Word commands it. I want to tell you why it commands it tonight. But this is a foundational passage of Scripture for us at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is why we can and should love one another. Love is the key, understand. Understand what real love is. Real love is the key, and it's important that we do understand what real love is, and 1 John's going to help us with this. But look at verse 16, 1 John chapter 3. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now let me make this statement that those in Christ, those who are followers of Christ, love. Okay? Those in Christ love. They love. They love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And it ought to be obvious. I remember a song several years ago in which one of the lines was, Love is a verb. You know what that means, right? Love is a verb. Love is action. Love is action. Love is not what we are or, or, or something that we're in. We're not in love. We do love. You know, lots of times we talk about being in love. Hmm. You know, love for the believer is something we do. Because you may not be in love at times. You may not feel like you're in love. But love is an action. For the believer in Christ, love is action. And we're going to learn in 1 John that true believers love. We will also learn that those who call themselves believers yet do not love have to face one of two truths. They are either not truly believers or they are being disobedient to God. And when Jesus Christ is, is given preeminence in the life of a believer, that believer's relationships will reflect the love and mercy and grace of God. It won't be perfect. I'm not suggesting that it be perfect. But there should be a growing in the love and mercy and grace that God has shown and is showing us and a reflection of that from our lives to other believers. It won't be perfect like God's love. It won't be perfect like God's mercy. It won't be perfect like God's grace. But it will be growing. And there ought to be evidence that that is growing in the life of the believer. You see, the one who says he or she is a believer and yet does not find their relationships affected for the better by God's work in them are either disobedient children, they're rebelling against God's way and plan, or they are not God's children at all. And in the former instance, the person that is a follower of Christ and yet is not growing in love toward his brothers and sisters in Christ that person's life is very displeasing to God. 
And the believers who, whose life is displeasing to God cannot expect God's blessing. If you are not following Christ's example in your relationships with others, you cannot expect God's blessings on your life. So in 1 John, we're going to see John appeals to the believers to obey. And I appeal to you from 1 John. Believers, obey. Obey God. Obey God's Word. John appeals to the believers to obey. He says in chapter 2, go there with me, chapter 2, verse 1. First John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And John goes beyond challenging believers to obey and not sin by reminding believers, look at the rest of it, but if anyone does sin, that's why I know that we can't expect perfection because John says, but if anyone does sin, and we do, don't we? We have an advocate with the Father. Who's that advocate? Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Can you say amen to that? Jesus Christ is our righteousness. You realize that we, in and of ourselves, we are not righteous. We are, there's nothing holy and right about us separate from God But Jesus Christ is our righteousness. He is our advocate. In Christ, we are forgiven when we repent of our sins and ask for forgiveness. He is our righteousness. He makes us righteous. Now, mind you, we are still sinners and we still sin. And so in a a way, we are still not righteous. But He makes us righteous. He identifies us as righteous when we trust in Him. He is our advocate. But a person who has not turned to Christ as Lord and Savior is going to face eternal judgment one day. That person who is not a believer, who says they're a believer, well, I follow Christ, but yet they don't follow Christ. And they aren't growing in their relationships with with the love and mercy and grace that God has shown them and, and, and seeing their relationships improve as far as it depends upon them. It's very possible that that person is not a believer. That's not me saying that. That's John. First John. This person stands to face in eternity separated from God. So this person is challenged by John to believe in God. Now in this book, John is also dealing with false teachers who claim that Jesus Christ had not come in the flesh. There were false teachers that he's refuting here. And there are false professors. And I mean... Not false, you know, college professors. I mean, false people who falsely say, I'm a follower of Christ, but yet they're not. And yet, maybe they, they were basing that on something that they had done at some point, but they weren't living like believers. And so there are false professors, people who claim to be followers of Christ who truly weren't, and there are false teachers. And what John teaches in 1 John is a refutation of what they were teaching. He takes them on right in the face. And they were saying that Jesus Christ had not come in the flesh. They taught that Christ was not human. He only appeared to be human. And that kind of false teaching led people to believe that Christ was not the revelation of God in human flesh. And if He was not, we're in serious trouble. 
Because if Jesus Christ was not the revelation of God in human flesh, then we are wasting our time in believing in Jesus. If Jesus Christ was not God in human flesh, taking the punishment for our sins in our place and then rising from the dead on the third day, right? If that's not true, we have nothing to put our hope in. And, and John takes it on. And he, he goes, he says, that, wait, this kind of false teaching is, is not right because, you see, the kind of teaching they're, they're, they're bringing people into this belief that Jesus was not able to save sinners by dying for their sins. He did not die. He only appeared to die. That's what they were teaching. And John confronts this teaching and clearly proclaims that Christ came in the flesh and that He did die for our sins and that eternal life is for those who believe in Christ. That's why 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have... What? Heard, we were there, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He says, don't believe the hogwash that Jesus didn't come in the flesh because we were there, and He did, and we touched Him. And we know that He did die on the cross, and that He did rise again, and He he did come. He was God in human flesh. He did rise from the dead, and He does live. And... Twice in 1 John, we're reminded that Christ is the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word, isn't it? But I want you to understand it because it's a very important word that we find in the New Testament. Twice in 1 John, we're reminded that Christ is the propitiation for our sins, which means that Jesus Christ was the substitute that took God's just wrath in our place. You see, God's wrath is just. We don't deserve His mercy. That's why it's mercy. Right? We don't deserve His forgiveness. But Jesus Christ is our propitiation. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Look at it with me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He is, and your translation may not use the word propitiation. The one that I use does, and I like it because it does. It doesn't, it doesn't try to translate too, too much. It makes me go and look up a word like propitiation and understand truly what it means. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ is our substitute that took God's just wrath in our place. He is our propitiation. Chapter 4, verse 10, go there with me. Chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I want you to note too that as we study First John, Lord willing, in the weeks ahead, we're going to see some of the tests that John uses to clearly demonstrate the difference between false teachers and false professors of faith 
the difference between them and, and true believers in Jesus Christ. And I want you to note with me this morning, the first type of test that we're going to see in 1 John is when John repeatedly declares that the evidence for one who is truly saved is the love that they have for their brothers and sisters in Christ, the love that they have for one another. The true test for whether whether or not they are in the faith, whether or not they truly believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, is whether they have love for one another. Ten times in 1 John, he uses what, what I'm calling the by this test. The by this test. Because he uses the word by this. Real creative, huh? The words by this mark ten statements that are a test for everyone who says they are a believer in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go through these quickly, so you may just want to note the chapter and verse so that you can look these up later. But just listen very carefully. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. And by this... We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Verses 5 and 6, chapter 2. But whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Chapter 3, verse 10. By this it is evident Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Chapter 3, verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Chapter 3, verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Chapter 4, verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Chapter 4, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His, given us of His Spirit. And chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. By this, by this, by this. Again and again and again. John says, you and I will know we may test whether we are truly believers and followers of Christ. These tests that we find in 1 John are necessary because the test of our salvation is not what we think it might be. You see, some people believe that they're believers in Jesus Christ because at one point in their life, they were compelled to get up at an invitation and walk an aisle and to go forward. And so they go back to that time, and I know I walked forward and I prayed a prayer that someone told me to repeat after them. And so I must be a Christian, right? 
See, that's not the test of your faith in Jesus Christ. I hope it's not the test of your faith in Jesus Christ because 1 John says something very different. These tests that we find in 1 John are necessary for us. If they weren't, 1 John wouldn't be here. We find this solemn reminder in another part of Scripture and in the other end of the New Testament. I want you to go back with me. Keep your finger in 1 John and go with me to Matthew chapter 7. You see, the test of our salvation is the change of life that Christ is working in us. And if our life isn't changing and becoming more and more Christ-like, we cannot say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, if something's not changing in us. That's the test. And I want you to see what Matthew chapter 7, verses 21-23 through 23 says. This is a very solemn reminder for all believers, for all who say they're believers... Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Note that he's saying, a test of your faith as to whether you believe in Jesus Christ is the fruit of your life, whether you actually do what the Father says. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It sends a chill down my spine when I read that passage because I'm reminded that there are people who say they're believers and yet they're not. We should be very careful to make sure, I'm talking about individually, examine our own hearts, not your neighbor's heart, your own heart. We should be very careful to make sure that that our faith in Christ is genuine, is true. We need to know that our faith is a personal faith in Christ and that it is a real faith and not a false faith that re, that's a result of, of maybe being compelled emotionally to respond to a invitation or a message. We need to know that our faith is a personal faith and that is a real faith and not a false faith that results in hearing on a judgment day. I never knew you. You can depart from me. We're also going to see in 1 John that there are also the if statements There's some if statements in 1 John. And these if statements in 1 John will either assure us of our salvation, and there's a lot of assurance of salvation in 1 John, which is a wonderful thing for a person who's in Christ to be assured of their station with Christ and their position with Christ. They are either going to assure us of our salvation or they're going to expose the fact that we have not trusted in Christ and that it is time to. Let me just quickly go through the if statements in 1 John. And again, you might just want to jot down the verse, the chapter and verse. And some of these are going to be repeated from the previous statements. 1 John 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, As He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, If 
We say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Chapter 2, verse 19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are they all are not of us. Chapter 2, verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Chapter 3, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Chapter 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. During our study in 1 John, these if statements will challenge us to put our faith in and give our obedience to Jesus Christ and will assure us that our faith in Christ is real faith and not based on whether or not we repeated a prayer or responded out of an emotional response to an invitation. We need to know that our relationship with Jesus Christ is a personal relationship. And these if statements are going to challenge us. Either we are in Christ, they'll even assure us if we are in Christ, Or they will alert us to the fact that we are not and we had better get in Christ by confessing our sin and believing in Jesus Christ. And then finally, there are several very clear statements that John intends to differentiate between those who say they know Christ and those who truly know Christ. And let me just point you to those. And again, some of these will be repeated. But 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Chapter 2, verse 10, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Chapter 3, verse 6, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Chapter 3, verse 14, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Chapter 4, verse 6, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Chapter 5, verse 1. 
Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And chapter 5, verse 18, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Listen closely. The answer to the challenges that you and I face in our relationships with other believers and with other people who aren't believers, the answer to those challenges that you and I face in our relationships is first trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can work very hard on your personal relationships and you'll see some, possibly even see some improvement. But without Jesus Christ, without Jesus Christ at work in you to make you Christ-like, to show you what it is to love and what real love is and how to do love, you will not have the wisdom of God's Word. You will not have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you redeeming those relationships for God's glory. The answer to the challenges that you and I face in all of our relationships with people is first trusting in Christ, and then secondly, it is growing in obedience to Christ. I did not say perfection, but I said growth. Growing. Yielding. It's a continual, it's an ongoing process for us as followers of Christ that we should, even little by little, because it's not something that happens all of a sudden, But little by little, we let God's Word impact our thinking and shape our our actions and our words and our responses to people. And God intends for us to be a people who who are working on our relationships with one another in the body of Christ. First of all, in the body of Christ, it's so critical that believers get along, right? It's so critical that believers love one another. That's why again and again and again, that's why tonight we're going to come back to that statement, the love one another. There's so many love one another commands and statements. And there's evidence in 1 John again of that, or some of the love one another statements are in 1 John. I'm going to come back and go back to several verses tonight to remind you that God again and again and again commands us to love one another. And I want you to know why He commands it, because there's some very good reasons why God commands us to love one another, and I'm going to show you those tonight. But the answer for you, and the answer for me, I think we all ought to be concerned about our relationships. I believe that every person in this room is concerned about their relationships with other people. If, if not just for the own, your own selfish reasons. You know, I want to be happy. <laughs> I want to experience joy. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to experience conflict every day. Those are some selfish reasons, right? There are some God-honoring reasons that, that God's Word points to that we ought to Strive for love and to show the love and mercy and grace of God in those relationships. And the answer to those challenges is whether or not you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ came and sacrificed Himself for our sin to be the propitiation for our sins so that we we could be redeemed from our own selfishness, our own self-centeredness that causes fractions in our relationships. And so that re- those relationships can be redeemed and be glorifying to God. And if our relationships in the church aren't being redeemed and glorifying to God, then we're going to be a weak church. 
We're going to have a weak testimony in this community. People need to be able to look at us and say there's something different about that person in the way that they deal with other people. And I wonder what it is. And it may compel them to ask you, and you can tell them that Jesus Christ is changing you, that Jesus Christ is doing a work in you through His Word, through His Spirit. Yielding to Christ, trusting in Christ, and then continually yielding and growing more Christ-like. As John says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for myself this morning. I hope you'll bow your heads with me and yield before God in prayer together this morning. To pray. To pray this prayer. To pray this from John chapter 2, that God would continually be our advocate, making us more Christ-like. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning so thankful that we can be your adopted children. What a beautiful picture it is, adopted into God's family. And even as John wrote to those whom he had shepherded along in the faith, he could call them his little children. God, we are your little children as followers of Jesus Christ. And oh Lord, we know that you've given us your word so that we would not be sinners, so that we would not continually, constantly go on sinning and sinning and rebelling against you. But even as I say that, Lord, I know that we sin. And we need an advocate. And and I'm so thankful, Lord, that you've given us an advocate. And the advocate is with you, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And God, I'm so thankful for myself and for your people, that He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the, the atonement, the replacement, that atoned for our sins, that took, took your just and righteous wrath and you put it on your Son so that it wouldn't have to be on us if we'll repent and turn to you. And Lord, just a reminder here that that, that act was completely sufficient for the sins of the whole world. Not just me. Not just your people here, but the whole world. Completely sufficient to take the punishment for every person's sins who ever lived and ever will live. And so, Lord, we realize that we can come to know You more and more if we'll obey Your commands. Lord, help us to know You more and more. Help us to know Your Word Help us to align ourselves with Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would transform our thinking as a church, as followers of Christ, people who say they are followers of Christ. Lord, please change our thinking. Make us more and more Christ-like day by day. Father, You know that we struggle. You know that we continually need to repent of sin and, and once again yield to You. Lord, never let us get away. Help us to never drift from You. Help us to never overcome guilt that is righteous guilt that You give us as a gift to remind us 
that we, that we need to turn to you once again in repentance, knowing that we are secure in Christ, knowing that, that we are yours, that you have redeemed us, and knowing that with the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, we can be a people who bring great glory to you, God. Lord, I pray that as a church and as individual believers and in our homes, in the workplace, in the schools, wherever we are, God, I pray, transform our relationships as we yield to you. Bring great glory to yourself through your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.